Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. The book of James is straightforward and practical for Christians. It's about having faith that translates from head to heart to hands. Ultimately, it leads us to ask, what am I doing with my faith? After the message and throughout the week, read the book of James. Also, check out nwhills.com slash hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. So if you got a Bible, we will be in the book of James today. We're in this year-long theme of the question, what's going on? And it's a question that we ask a lot, right? I mean, in the last five minutes, I hope we're all asking, what's going on? God, like, what, what are you doing here? Why, why are you allowing certain things to happen that you just wonder? Like, because, God, you could stop anything at any given moment. Why would you allow certain things to happen? And that translates into everything in life, right? Whether it is um, strife overseas, whether it's tension in our families, whether that's hardship in our jobs, um, there's all kinds of questions that we have about what's going on. And in order to answer those big questions of what's going on, we are going through the entire Bible, uh, one book a week, uh, starting in Genesis, going all the way through, and we are getting very close to the end. Uh, but what's interesting is that as we've been going through the Bible, um, we, we get to different sections that are really easy to read. They're palatable, they're understandable, you get to it, and we like it. Right? There are sections you read and you just go like, yeah, that, that makes sense, I get it, I like it. But then, if you're paying attention, there's a lot of scripture that you get to and you read, and, and it, at least it's hard to understand, and more than hard to understand, there are parts of scripture that we just don't like. Um, they're, like if you're honest, you, you just say, like, I, I wish that wasn't in there. Um, and, and clearly that's on, on a human level because God knows what he's doing. But, but as we read the whole thing, there, there's still a lot of seasons and there's still a lot of books where we wonder, like, what's going on here? Um, how do we make sense of this? And how do we make sense of this? And I know this is true because I've been studying the Bible a long time um, and a lot. Like, I have an entire undergraduate and graduate degree studying the Bible. I've been teaching it now just about 20 years uh, and yes, a lot of you are older and spend tons of time in the Word, but I'm telling you, if, if, if I struggle to understand it, I promise you most of us do. Um, and it's really interesting how this happens even within individual chapters of the Bible, right? So I'm just going to read a, a little snippet from a chapter of the Bible and show you a little bit about what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what chapter this is from. You can figure it out. Eventually, I will tell you. Um, but let's go one chapter, and, and no, let's not go. You listen because you don't know where I'm going. Here we go. Uh, we read this. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for, f- uh, for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden. But in the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy and shall be used as an offering to God And then by the time you get to the fifth year, you're welcome to eat the fruit, and therefore, uh, forward, you can eat the fruit. So um, I I don't think many of us read that and go, yeah, that's really applicable to my life, 
right? Like, I don't think any of us have walked into Winco and have wondered, like, is this a fifth-year apple? Because if this isn't a fifth-year apple, it's an abomination to the Lord, and it's not holy, and it's not right. Like, we just, we don't live that way. Of course we don't live that way. So what does that have to do with us? But then you, you get to another part in this same, same chapter, and we read, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. And we read that and we like it, right? Like no one in modern culture is going to look at that, that section of scripture and say, well, that's regressive, that's antiquated, that's problematic, uh, that's causing us from progress. Like no one looks at that and says, this is a problem. Everyone kind of applauds that. And it's like, yes, like general morality, this feels good. We like this. Um, whether you're a church going Bible believing Christian or whether you're just someone trying to kind of behave well in society, everyone likes this. And, and a lot of people like this. 1500 years after this was written, there's another guy, his name's Jesus. He quotes that more than any other scripture in the entire Bible. So he he liked it and we like it, but what do we do with the fifth year fruit thing, right? Like there's, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible where we're not quite sure what to do with. And so my hope is, as we've been studying the Bible all year, and if you're new, welcome, but if you have been with us and if you have been studying, my hope is that as we're going through it, we, we do have a little bit of a framework now to go, well, okay, that was kind of Old Testament ritual law. And that was Old Testament sacrificial law, and this is Old Testament moral law, and we hold on to the moral law, but, but the other things, they, they don't really apply to us today. But, but again, while reading, it can be a little bit tricky to know, how do I understand this? What's for me? What's not for me? And we want to be careful because we really don't want to play the game of, I get to pick and choose what's for me and what's not for me, right? That's, that's kind of a slippery slope, and that's, that's a bit dangerous, if you will, when we're sitting here saying, well, well, I get to decide what parts of the Bible I like and what parts of the Bible I don't like. Clearly, we don't want to be that people. Our question is, what applies to us and what is for us? Um, well, today we're going to be in one of these books that we open up, and we instantly just like it. It's a very likable book. Um, it's, it's written to early Jewish converts, uh, and it's a book that's very straightforward. It's very elementary in its understanding. Uh, you can read it in about 15 minutes. It's five chapters long, and there's not any part of it that you're going to go, huh, that's really confusing, right? You're going to read it, and you're going to go, yeah, 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 that actually makes a lot of sense, uh, it's so simple that in 1522, uh, the, the pastor, theologian, reformer, Martin Luther, called this book a rather strawy letter uh, in comparison to some of the other great books of the Bible. Uh, but the book of James that we're going to get into is a really good book nonetheless. Uh, it's a book that gives us some very practical, very straightforward, this is what it looks like to take your faith and to put it into action. Because here, here's the truth. If, if we're just a people um, who have faith and don't actually do anything with it, then the truth is we don't actually have a real faith. Uh, if week in and week out we, we pray for people around the world and we um, pray for uh, 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 groups like Lifesong, yet we never actually do anything about any of the things that we pray for, the brother of Jesus is going to say, well, you don't really know my brother then. 
And so we're trying to open up this book today and see what is it all about to actually have a faith that translates from my head to my heart to my hands. Like I, I need to do something with this. It's a, it's a book also that as we read, um, I would say that it is in a context uh, that we can't just hold on to books like James and say, see, Christianity is just this. It's just doing stuff with our hands, and what we think with our head doesn't really matter. Well, no, that matters too, right? In order for James to make sense, we do have to read Romans, and we do have to read Galatians, and we have to understand Ephesians, because the overflow of our minds comes out of our hands if we know and love Jesus, and, and that's the starting point. And, and we wouldn't want the starting point to be, hey, let's everyone get up here and let's work on our moral behavior, right? Like that, That's not what we want to do, because that would be short-lived, and that would be rooted in something that ultimately doesn't save us. What saves us is not our works, but it's our faith, but a saving faith has works. And so we're going to open that up today, and, and as we get in the book of James, I want to share just a little bit about who James was, uh, a little bit of background, and then give us a few different points about um, kind of why James says the things that he says. And so uh, understanding who James is. So first of all, uh, this is really important. It's Jesus' brother, right? Like, if there's ever someone that we should listen to, it's probably the person that shared a bunk with Jesus his entire life, right? Um, we, we read about James today, and then in a couple more weeks, I'll be preaching in the book of Jude, another brother of his. But I want you to think with me for just a minute how important it is that Jesus' brother is a follower of Jesus. It's actually a really good apologetic to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, early on, and really for his entire adult ministry, James did not believe that Jesus was God. Um, John tells us this in John chapter 7, that his brothers and him denied the fact that he was God, which is weird. You think about growing up in a house with Jesus, and you have to believe that was a bit strange, right? And frustrating, to say the least. Like, if mom's always like, okay, who caused the problem? Like, it's always not going to be Jesus, and as a brother, like you, you just got, like, you know, and, and you have to believe, like as the younger brother, when your mom and dad are telling you, like, you know, you, you recognize the anniversary date and the birth date don't line up and they're telling you, no, God got her pregnant. Like as a brother, I'm just saying, you're kind of wondering what's going on with that story. But he didn't believe that he was God, even as he's doing miracles. But then something happens. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that after the resurrection, Jesus went out of his way to tell a few people individually, hey, here's, here's who I am. Uh, he tells us that he went and he sought out Peter, uh, that Jesus went and he sought out the, the 12 disciples. And it specifically says he went and he found his brother James. And it doesn't tell us what that conversation was like. Uh, you know, I can extrapolate and imagine with my mind what that conversation would have been like. But I have to believe it was something like this. Hey, like, brother, I, I am what our faith has been promised for thousands of years. Um, I am what your heart wants. Uh, and, and look, like, you saw me dead. You, you were with our mom uh, when I was killed. And I, I'm here. And I'm, I'm God, and, and that completely changes his life. Uh, he becomes a, a solid leader in the church at Jerusalem, which is kind of the first major church in the early Christian world. Uh, and, and we learn about that uh, in, in Galatians chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 15. You can read about him as a leader there. 
um, and his life's totally changed. Changed so much so uh, that um, we're told in the second century um, that we, we, it's written in the second century that he was killed for his faith by Jewish leaders for him uh, refusing uh, to deny Jesus as Lord. And so think about this. If your brother is God and you're willing to die for that fact, like that's a pretty good apologetic that he is who he says he is. Because I don't know about you, um, I don't have a brother, uh, but if anyone was trying to convince me that either one of my sisters were God, like I'm not dying for that belief no matter how much I like them. Right? Like, maybe believe that one of our siblings may be Satan, but Jesus, God, I, I'm just saying. Like, that's an, easy, that's an easier thing to believe for some of us. So for some of us, I, I think you're in good company if you're struggling to believe that Jesus is God. Um, if Jesus' own brother struggled to believe that, uh, I think you're in good company. Um, but, I, but I would say, um, what do you do with the resurrection? What do you do with that? I think it's a beautiful apologetic that absolutely changes someone's life. And so if you're there, chew on that for a while. Chew on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's not convincing enough, I would ask you to ask yourself what would be. Right? What, what would it take for you to believe that Jesus is God? Um, the resurrection is what did it for James. James is a short book. Um, it is five chapters. Uh, there's 108 verses in it. Uh, it's a very practical book, as I said. In those 108 verses, there are more than 50 imperatives telling us this is how you are to live. It's very straightforward. Um, it's written really early on. It's most likely the first book that was written in the New Testament. So the very first book that was written, it was written probably about 10 to 15 years after Jesus left earth. So very early on. And it's important to think about the audience of who was reading this first letter. It was primarily, it was not primarily, it was strictly written to New Testament Jewish converts. So Paul hadn't done his thing at this point. Uh, you don't have many uh, Gentile, non-Jewish converts at this point. So he's talking to an audience of people who come out of a very strict, very religious upbringing with all kinds of rules, right? So think about like your uber, like strict, crazy family that's like, you have to do all these things if you know God. And then people were becoming Christians and they're like, sweet, I'll take Jesus because this faith means I don't have to do all those rules, and they, they kind of take on this mentality and this attitude of, of an easy believism, if you will. If, if all I have to do is do Jesus and I don't have to practice this and I don't have to do that and I can eat bacon, like praise God, yes and amen, my life will be way better from here moving forward. And, and James writes to say, well, well, hold up a second. Yes, it's easy, but, but no, it doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Like there's, there's something to do with this faith that you have. It's not just, I no longer have to do all the things, all the extra rules of Old Testament law, but you do have to do something with your faith. Um, your faith matters. What you do with your life is actually of, of grand significance, of eternal significance. And, and he's also writing to a people who are struggling uh, we talked about this last week in the book of Hebrews. I kind of looked at this as a, a little bit of a combo. You got Hebrews and James and, and, and to a people who were going through hardship, uh, much like what we saw here, right? You got a people who are persecuted for their faith. You got people who are being killed for their faith early on. Uh, and this will only get worse as the centuries go on, right? As Rome continues to kind of squelch out this early faith, this only gets worse in second century, 
And so as the early believers are reading this, James is saying, hey, I, I know, I know what you're going through. And I know it's super hard. But God does something through the super hard. And through this super hard, God's going to give you a perseverance that's going to give you a faith that's unlike any other. And that only happens when we go through the super hard, which most of the time we don't want the super hard, right? Most of the time, what are our prayers? Most of the time, it's like, God, would you just give me easy? God, most of the time, would you just give me what I think that I want? And God says, what you want deep down is you want a, a, a faith that is deep and that's real, and that doesn't happen easily. It happens through hardship, and it happens through trial. And so we're going to see through the life um, of James, through the perspective of James, what a faith looks like in real action. And so um, we're going to look at five different things, I hope. Um, we're going to start with number one. In, in, uh, we, we're not, we're not going to stand today uh, because we're, we're, going to, we're actually going to work through the whole part of, of chapter one because chapter one is a summary of the whole book. Chapters four, or two, three, four, and five uh, expound on chapter one. So I'm going to go through chapter one today. And again, the encouragement, as it is every week, read it on your own. There's so much good stuff here. If you're, if you're newer, if you haven't started reading yet, this would be a fabulous week to start reading. It, it will make a lot of sense and you'll be able to say, yes, there's a challenge for me this week as I open up the book of James. But if you are able, uh, would you open up chapter one, verse one, and we're looking at uh, kind of the first thing he says, and this is about testing and endurance. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This is uh, basically to all the believers outside of Jerusalem where kind of the first church was formed. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Count it joy when you go through trials. Um, I'll, I'll be just super honest. Um, it feels cheap and easy for me and Corvallis right now to stand up and say, we all have a lot of trials right now in comparison to what's going on around the world. But the reality is, whether you're across an ocean or whether you're here, we all go through trials. Right And trials are real, and Jesus knows that. And that trial can be something as simple as, man, I've got an ailment in my body that's keeping me from doing the things that I want to do, to, man, my marriage is falling apart, to my life is falling apart, to, man, I don't have the career that I want. Like, tr- we all go through them. And God, God allows them. Right? We're going to learn later, he does not cause them. He's not the, the author of temptation. He is not the author of evil. But he allows hardship to happen. And through the hardship, God does something in that process. Right? And I think if all of us had a moment where we could sit down and, and share a story, we'd all have a season, most likely, that we could look back to and we could say, man, that was really hard. I wouldn't have chosen to go through it. But look what God did through it. Man, I... I I've been a part of this church for 12 years now, and, and 10 years ago, our senior pastor left. Uh, two years after I first got here, and he brought me here. He was my best friend's uncle, and, and, uh, and learning very quickly after I bought my first home that he left, man, that, that was hard. I, you know, I'm wondering, like, what's going to happen to them, and, and what's going to happen to our church, and what's going to happen to my family? And man, for those of you who are around, that was a hard season. 
right? We went for a long time without a senior pastor. And a couple years in, you know, I'll be honest, I felt like, you know, I think I could lead this church. And, and I felt like I had the giftings. I felt like I had the calling. I felt like I had the relationships. And, and, and I, it looked like things were headed in that direction. And then, and then uh, you know, I was told, no, you're, you're not going to. And that was super hard, right? That was super discouraging in that season. And and, and I still believe that God knew what he was doing because everyone making those decisions was seeking the Lord and, and I was seeking the Lord and it was super clear at that time, like, no, like, th- this is not for you. And, and so we went with a few more years and, and I look back and I just go, man, thank you, Lord, that that didn't happen because I was able to grow in ways that you knew I needed to grow in. Right For a few years, I was able to sit under a senior pastor who was an interim pastor here, and he was a pastor for 30 years, and every day I got to go into his office, and I got to learn, like, hey, Rich, what was it like uh, to lead a church like this? And, and for years, I, I got to sit under that, and I thank God for that. And then we, we hired another senior pastor, and again, like, super painful. Like, I, God, I thought I had what it took, and I, I thought I could do this, and, and we hired someone else, and this person was here for 18 months, and... And I learned some things. I learned a few things what not to do. Um, but truth be told, like, man, I, I did deeply learn some things. I learned how to, to have a lot of joy in ministry. Like, I learned how to not take myself so seriously. Like, I was given permission to not have to wear slacks and tuck in my shirt. And praise God for that. <laughs> right? Like, I really did learn a lot from our pastor who was here for a short amount of time. And it's not to say that it wasn't without pain. But again... Going through a season, like, I wouldn't have wanted to pick that in the middle of it. But going through it, I I can look back now and say, God, thank you. Like, I I truly believe that. And there was never a season through that where, whether it's the elders or the staff or myself, where any of us, um, I think, I, I don't think any of us were going away from the will of God. And it was hard, but knowing that we were holding close to God in that season it gave me the assurance that no matter how hard this is, I know that God's doing something through this. And it's kind of sweet that now I can look back and I can go, man, that's cool. Like, look at that. It's not great in the moment. And, and I thank God that I am given that opportunity now to look back. And, and that's not always a gift too. Like sometimes we go through the hardship and we go through the pain and, and we're not able to look back and say, and look, right? I, I recognize that that's not always the case, but James makes it super clear. When we go through hardship, when we go through trial, God knows what he's doing. Um, Maybe you're there, right? Anastasia, you're certainly there right now in your country, right? For all of us, we're in the middle of something. Uh, If you're not, you will be soon. And you can rest assured that God knows what he's doing and he will work through it and in the working through it, he strengthens our faith. The call is to cling to him and not to what we think will give us joy in that moment. Number two, uh, wisdom and prayer. Let's go verse five. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I would just ask you this. Are you hungry to learn about the things that matter? Um, And the invitation is pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. He says, ask me for wisdom. 
Ask. I have everything. Ask in a way that you believe that I have something to give you. I was thinking about this last week, and I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago, like a little analogy that helped me to know that I have a Heavenly Father who has something, who He's saying, I've got something for you. All you have to do is ask. And I was thinking about a dinner that we were having, and it was my family, my wife and I, and all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, one of my kids asks for us to pass the vegetables to her. And that sounds really silly, and it sounds really stupid, but my wife and I look at each other, and we're like... Really? You're going to ask that? Because if you know my kids, they're not great at eating meat and vegetables. Um, They're really good at the sweets. They're really good at the carbs. Not so good at the meats and vegetables. But I had this moment where I'm like, you know what? Like, that's, that's us with the Lord. Like, it's there. He has it. It's for us. It's good for us. And he wants us to ask him, hey, would you pass me the wisdom Like, I need some of that wisdom, but most of the time we're sitting at the table and we're like, I'd like the ice cream, I'd like the bread, can I have some more butter, right? Translation, God, keep me safe on this trip to Aspen next summer, right? God, my toe hurts, would you heal me? And he wants to give us those things, yes and amen, but he also wants to give us the good stuff, right? He wants to give us the wisdom and he's saying, would you ask me? Would you ask me for wisdom? Would you ask me for what you really need, not just what you kind of want this week, not just what's right in front of you today that's going to make this meal a little bit sweeter in the moment, but maybe not great for your tummy or your waistline in years to come, right? Give wisdom. The Lord wants to do it. All we got to do is ask. Um, Poverty and riches, point number three. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I mean, think with me for a minute, the family that James came from. James comes from a very poor working class family in a time where if you were of a poor working class, there was no you know, opportunity to climb the ladder, if you will. If you were poor, you were going to be poor and your kids were going to be poor. Right? And, and, and here's Jesus king of heaven and earth. He's born into this family of poverty. He doesn't have some massive portfolio that he's managing. He doesn't run a small business. He has nothing. He has no home. He's literally substance living day by day. He's trying to figure out what's coming next. And his brother says, boast in your exaltation. Boast in what you have in the Lord. Don't boast in what's here and now. Right? For those of us who struggle to feel like we have value, to feel like we have worth, when we look around and we compare ourselves to other people, James is going to say, hey, what are you comparing yourself to? Recognize what you have, because he makes this big comparison to those who have a lot. And he says, hey, even those who have a lot right now, guess what? That sweet little house of yours and that nice car and that curated, beautiful outfit and that great body and that nice smile, all the things that you have, you are like a flower in the field on a hot day. You're gone pretty soon. And how can he say this? He can say this because he is able to watch his brother ascend into heaven. You want to talk about living for something more? You're like, 
Yeah, my brother's living for something a little bit more. He's 33 years old and he's gone. He's out or he's going to prepare a place for us that's far better than anything here. So I tell you what, if you're worked up about the here and now, man, let it go. Let it go. We, we, we fall into these cycles of playing these comparison games of like, I'm not good enough. And so if we don't feel like we have dignity and we don't feel like we're good enough, then we go out and we buy things we can't afford to feel like, well, maybe if I just get this next thing, then maybe I'll get some dignity and maybe I'll get some worth. And then you, you end up feeling worse about yourself because later you realize, well, I can't afford it anyways. And the thing that I thought would give me dignity isn't giving me dignity. What I need is I need to be dignified from the Lord. So boast in that. Hold on to that. You've got heaven coming. And if you have means, don't think that those means are what give you value. Because guess what? This puppy's temporary. You know how quickly life can get turned upside down? You know how quickly our country could go into absolute chaos? Like, it's happened. It, like it, Don't hold on to what is shaky. Riches are incredibly shaky. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. Everything that we have will one day be taken from us and we will stand naked before the Lord with nothing. Right? Where's your hope then? It's not in what you have, I promise you. Faith and rewards. Let's go verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. He's going back to kind of verses 2 through 4, talking about trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want to stop here a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit of theology here. Um, There are some Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches that believe that once you put your faith in Jesus, once you become a Christian, that faith in Christ, that position in heaven can never be taken from you. Right? We are one of those churches. We believe that. We believe that if you confess with your mouth that you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, that your name is written in the book of life, and that name doesn't get erased. Right? I don't believe God has a massive eraser up there, and he's like, nope, 86 times you sin today. If you get to 90, I'm taking this puppy off. Like That's not what we believe. We believe that if you were dead with Christ and you rose again with him, that you are what we call eternally secure. Right, John uh, chapter 10 will say uh, um, that no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Like That is clear. We believe that. There are other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches that disagree, that, that believe that you can put your faith in Jesus and you can make a choice to walk away. Right? I don't believe that. I don't believe Scripture teaches that. But I have dear friends who love the Lord as much as I do who believe that Scripture teaches that. And this would be one of those verses that we would both look at, look at and we would say, uh, we would interpret it differently. Right? There are people who would look at this verse and they would say, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. And because he's remaining steadfast under trial, he will receive the crown of life. Right? Some people think that. Um, I see it a little bit differently. Um, I, see it, I see it saying a few different things, a few different possibilities in this. Uh, number one, I would say that, um, that the contingency here is not on whether or not you remain steadfast, but it's on the latter half of this. Um, look at the, the latter half of chapter, uh, verse 12. Um, he says, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Right? So if you love God, the promise is that you will have eternal life. 
right? So that would be one way that I could interpret this. Another way that you would look at this is that the crown of life here does not necessitate eternal life, but it could mean the here and now life, a part of sanctification, the good life with God. Right, another way is that this is just a description of the Christian life. That if you are following Jesus, if you are holding fast to him during trials, that you will experience eternity to come. That's just a description of the Christian life. And another way that we can interpret this is with absolute humility, I could say, you know what, I don't really know. I I don't know. I, I believe that there's a thousand other verses that speak to holding on to me if I'm a son of God in the way that I would never let go of one of my kids, I believe that. And I get to a verse like this where I just go, you know what? I'm not totally sure. And, and I trust God that I'm, I'm going to be okay. There's a lot there. And he, he goes on to talk about what, um, what temptation, what trials are all about. And I'm going to skip that because of time. Um, you can hold on to that this week. Um, just know this. When you're tempted, again, that's not from the Lord. Um, and when you're tempted, it's not always just from without there. It's often from right within here, right? Like I want what I want, not because something that's out there. I want what I want because I got a wanton heart. And God's going to make that clear. He's going to say, ultimately, the consequence of a wanton heart is a life apart from God. He's saying life with God is taking those wants, is sacrificing them and saying, no, I want something greater than that. I want to follow the Lord. Yeah, Lastly, words and works. And this is kind of the whole theme of this entire book. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, in verse 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Man, um, as we close the book of James here, uh, actually I would say as we open the book of James this week, uh, as you read it, I would just ask us to say, what are we doing with our faith? Um, Is our faith, is my belief in Jesus something that's causing me to behave differently? Right? Uh, as I go throughout my week, as, as we get here every Sunday, we have this unique opportunity to open up God's Word and to examine our lives. Right? And in the examination today, the simple ask is, is my faith, is, is it causing me to do something? Right? It, it not just is it causing me to think about something a certain way on a Sunday morning, but is it causing me to do something throughout the week? What am I doing with my faith? The way that we're going to take a moment to really think this through is we're going to, we're going to go into a time of communion right now. Um, the band's going to come up. They're going to play. Um, we are going to take communion on our own individually. There are stations around. There's a gluten-free one back there. Take it on your own. And here's what I want us to do during communion. For one, I want you to ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus is God? Right? Do I believe that he died on the cross for my sins? Because that's hearing. 
We all have an opportunity today to hear that God loves each and every one of us, that he died for us, and now I have an opportunity not just to be a hearer, but a doer, to do something with that word, right? And that doing something is saying, I believe in your life and death, right? If you've made that decision, for a lot of us, our, our opportunity of reflection as we go to the table is, God, you did something with your life, what am I doing with mine? Right, and so would you pray with me as we ask ourselves that question today? Father God, man, I, I thank you for an opportunity to, to gather as a church, um, to open up your word, and then to ask ourselves, what are, we, what are we doing with the things that we're hearing? God, what am I, what am I doing with this faith that I have? Uh, my, my faith is, is made real uh, because you died on the cross for my sins. But then the invitation is to do something with that faith. And God, we're, we're all asked to do different things. God, um, some of us are, are asked to, to serve on a Sunday morning in a particular role. And some of, our, some of us are asked to, to go over to Ukraine. And some of us are asked to be a part of what's going on in the Middle East. And some of us are making inroads into Asia. And God, some of us are asked to serve in in South Corvallis and North Corvallis and in a school or uh, in part of our extended families or in our direct immediate families. God, you're asking all of us to do different things and um, let us be a people who respond. God, if we're in a season where we're not sure where you're asking us to serve, God, let us be at least cognizant to ask you, God, I need wisdom to know where my hands ought to be working. God, if we're in a transitionary season, help us to, to not just live off the, the accolades of our past serving, but to look forward and to look ahead because if you have me here and now, I'm not done. God, and so what does it look like to continue on in this next season of life? God, show us how we can be obedient. God, and ultimately all this, the entire book of James is not grounded in kind of a random, therapeutic, moralistic deism. It's, it's grounded in you. It's grounded in a life given for us. And so, yes, while we examine our lives and we, we look at our behavior, Jesus, we, we also just want to marvel. God, we want to marvel at what you've done for us, and we want to marvel at your love for the world. And we want to marvel that you are willing to let us go through tremendous hardships. And through those hardships, we marvel at the fact that you can work all things together for good. And you can bring about the worst of hardships to something beautiful. And so we look forward to that, Jesus, whether that's on this side of eternity or next. I thank you that this is not all that we have to live for. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Feel free to grab communion. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.